0: Welcome to the devotional Toddcast, hosted by Pastor Todd Walker and Crossroads Church in Littleton, New Hampshire. All right, well, I'm going to start the Toddcast by asking you a couple of questions. Don't you hate feeling like you're always behind? Anyone hate that feeling? Like, you feel like you're always behind, right? Does anyone feel like their chores and their errands mock you? Just they're mocking you like you'll never complete me all? You know that how about this do your clocks and your calendars and your to-do lists do they bully you because mine bully me my clocks and my calendars and my to-do list because i'm always behind i always feel like i'm behind tonight we're going to call the todd double time it double time it here's another question did you ever lose so much time doing something that you had to double time it to get something important done something you lost track of And you had to increase your time. Now, double time, it is a military phrase, I understand. And when when you're, yes, when you're marching and you sort of have to pick up your pace, the commander will tell you to double time it. And that means to increase your pace, go faster, and make an hour march in 20 minutes. So we're going to call it double time it tonight. Now, you might think this never happens to pastors. Maybe you think this, maybe you don't. That perhaps pastors are the perfectly disciplined people, who have clean cut calendars and appointments, who always stay on task with their duties without any hitch in their step. Does anyone think that about pastors? <laughs> that pastors never fall behind their duties? Anyone think that? Well, if you do think that, I have to disappoint you tonight. Because at least your pastor, and I can only speak for myself, sometimes I get pulled away from my schedule with other duties, other pastoral duties, other family duties, and I find myself, much like many of us, Behind my time in preparing lessons responding to emails in a timely fashion some of you have been on the other side of that You know what that's like when it's taking me two or three days to get back to you And handling administrative duties. sometimes I get behind on those things and I know that's shocking to hear about your pastor I know I've let you all down I know you thought your pastor was perfect and that tonight you're finding out not only is his chili Not perfect But he is not perfect well when this happens and I fall behind my duties and I don't have enough time to handle everything, I, I just give up. I do. I just, anyone else just give up? I just give up. I sit in my office and I pout. And I cry. That's right. I play sad music and I weep. I just weep. And I come to, the terms, I come to terms with the fact I'm not going to have a sermon on Sunday. And I'm not going to finish the paperwork. And I'm, not gonna, I'm just going to neglect all the emails and voicemails that are waiting for me. I just give up. And, and then because I'm behind in my time, I, I just pull up Netflix in my office and I binge watch a TV show to help me overcome my frustration. Oh, well, I guess there won't be any sermon this Sunday because I'm short on time this week. I hope the church likes VeggieTales. Is that what I do? Is that what I, do? no, I don't. Of course, that's silly. I double time it. I double time it. I go into hyper mode. I drink an absurd amount of coffee. I respond to emails in the shower if I have to. <laughs> Actually, I've never done that. And I stay up in the wee hours of the night studying my Bible and preparing a sermon because no church of mine is going to get their spiritual nourishment from veggie VeggieTales, okay? As exciting as that sounds. And I don't think I'm alone. I, I think all of us use this double time strategy at some point in our lives. If we're behind in the laundry, we double time it to get those baskets empty. If we're behind in paying bills, we double time it to get those bills paid before they shut the lights off. If we're behind in cleaning the house, we tell our eight kids who caused the mess in the first place to double time it and clean like the Tasmanian devils that they are. If we're behind in showing romance to our wife, we double time it by buying her double the flowers and double the chocolate to make up for it. Yeah, she goes, where is it? Well, now I have to pay out. I walked into a trap there, my own trap. Sometimes double time it can be a, can be a good strategy, sometimes an efficient strategy for helping us make up our last time. In fact, I've seen my kids do this. In fact, I tested them last night and they, it was kind of a trick. They didn't know it was coming. I've seen my kids utilize this strategy when it's time to do something fun, but there's chores standing in their way. I've noticed my kids are amazing cleaners when they have to be. Now, I tested this the other day and I said, guys, I'm gonna give you one minute. There were toys all over the floor, it was, it was a lesson plan. And there were toys all over the floor and I said, I'm gonna give you a minute to clean up all these toys. And then I started the clock. And I didn't let them clean for the first 30 seconds. I said, don't do anything. And the clock was going and going and going. And then it came to 30 seconds and I said, okay, you have 30 seconds to get all these toys up. And if you do, you'll get a little reward. Guess what, they did it in 20. They had 10 seconds left over. The whole floor was clean because they wanted the award. So they double-timed it. My kids double-timed it. They were determined to get something done, and so they looked like the hardest working kids of all time because they double-timed it to get their chores out of the way so they could get a reward and get something fun. And I believe adults use this strategy from time to time. The question for us tonight is, can we use this strategy, spiritually speaking? Can we use the double-timed strategy to, to help us overcome evil, to help us accomplish the will of God? And I'm going to answer my own question, because I believe we can. In fact, I've sort of based my entire Christian journey upon this strategy. Let me explain. Most of you know my testimony by now. At age five, I professed faith in Christ as a young five-year-old boy. But until age 26, you might not have been able to tell that I was Christian at all, except for the fact that I went to church Once or twice a week I had very little interest in serving God very little interest in obeying Jesus The only time I was active spiritually speaking is when I was on a guilt trip from a pastor or a parent or a youth worker or my own conscience Other than that I was sitting on the sidelines for Jesus and I was letting everyone else do all the work But then at age 26 I found shocking mercy from God Which enabled me to get back up spiritually speaking and start over with a clean slate and i say thank you jesus for that i really do because that was his grace and i was i was excited i was so excited to be called back into the race and back into the battle for the lord but i had a problem i was grossly behind where i should have been for a 26 year old man a 20 year old christian i felt i had wasted nearly 20 years of my life sitting on the sidelines Now, the Lord didn't tell me that message per se, okay? I didn't didn't find that in a chapter and verse in the Bible. But it felt obvious to me. I had been a professing Christian for 21 years, and had barely influenced anybody for the Lord, had barely done anything to help the church grow, and had barely done anything to advance the gospel. 20 years down the drain. And so my options were limited. I either let 20 years of my life go up in smoke, or perhaps... I could redeem the time I had lost by using the double time it strategy for Jesus. Now, I need to preface what I'm about to say by letting you know that everything I have done and everything that every follower of Jesus has done has been purely by the grace of God. Amen. The grace of God that he provides for us. We could do nothing of our own strength, nothing on our own goodness. But in my mid-20s, I felt it made perfect logical sense in my life to try to make up for lost time. Because I was 20 laps behind everyone who had been a Christian for as long as I was. Therefore, I had to run faster. I had to run stronger to catch up where everyone else was. Not because I wanted glory. Not because I wanted to compare myself with other people. I generally felt that I should double time it in order to give the Lord from my life what he so richly deserved. A life that is full of service. You guys remember that uh, moment when Ebenezer Scrooge and the Christmas Carol sort of has that awakening at the end of the movie, and he sort of realizes what a miserable wretch he's been, and he sort of started, goes around town and is start, starting to give you know, money to the poor and help others and help the Cratchits and things like that. Well, I was, I was sort of taking that on strategy in my life, and I wanted, I wanted to, to give an offering to the Lord, and I wanted to do as much as I possibly could for him with the time I had left, because we only get one life on this earth, Right? We only get one chance to give Jesus everything that he deserves. Now, perhaps we don't like that strategy. Perhaps we think it's out of balance with the grace of God. But I see it completely the other way. I believe the grace of God is a powerful tool that enables us to run fast and strong in order to make up for time lost. And, come on up, Finn. He's got something to say. He's double-timing it that's right he wants the mic <laughs> listen I can't compete with this kid um, this is a biblical concept though I'm not, I'm not just making this up I want to share with you this, this concept from the Bible if I'm allowed to come on Finn that's right man he just, he's, he's just into it, that's what it he's my biggest fan club But look, we let this podcast go. Um, Paul used this double-timed strategy more than anybody else. And I'll prove it. If you know Paul's testimony, what was he before he was a Christ follower? Does anyone know that? What was Paul before he was a Christ follower? No,pe not Paul. Paul was a Pharisee. You remember that? Paul was a Hebrew of Hebrews, he called himself. A, a scholar. A zealot. What? Saul of Tarsus. And he was a persecutor. Of the church of Jesus Christ He hated Christians He did everything possible To get those Christians locked up Because he thought they were a problem And that was Paul's beginning of his life A big chunk of Paul's life Was dedicated to taking care of the Christian problem Well listen to these passages That Paul wrote I'm going to read three of them in a row One is from Philippians chapter 3 Paul said this He said Not that I have already obtained this Or i am already perfect But I press on to make it my own Because Christ Jesus has made me his own Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. And then again, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says this, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was in me. And one last time, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6, He said, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all those who have loved his appearing. Paul was highlighting two things in these three passages. Number one, the obvious and unmerited grace of God in his life, to do what otherwise would have been impossible for Paul to do. And number two, I believe that he should double-time it in his Christian journey to make up for all the time that Paul lost when he was against the Lord, when he was persecuting the church of Jesus. He says, to make the grace of God not in vain, not be wasted. But beyond just using this as a pep talk tonight to get us to work harder and run faster and strive more to do God's will and obey Jesus, although I think that's a good concept, I believe there's a hidden strategy in this podcast to help us defeat our enemy and his evil agenda against us. Now, the devil, we've talked about this on Sunday, he once held us captive. Captive. Within the walls of sin and death. And there's nothing we could do to remedy our situation. Nothing we could do to start serving God. We were stuck in sin and death. We were slaves. Slaves to sin. Slaves to death. Our situation could not have been more bleak. But then Jesus rescued us, didn't he? By his own merits, by his own grace, by his own death. He delivered us from the devil's domain by the grace of God and completely freed us to do what we could not do before, which is live for God and live for righteousness. Now, what better strategy is there for people who used to be slaves to sin, who are now free in Jesus and who desire to stick it to their captor, the devil, than to live for the very thing our enemy hates? righteousness and love. What better strategy is there to live for righteousness and love and to redeem the time that was stolen from us than to double-time our efforts in pleasing God and living for Jesus? What better strategy to not falling back into our old habits than to double-time our efforts to move forward in God's will and obedience to Jesus? And what better strategy is there for accomplishing great and profound things than by striving with everything that God has given us in order to accomplish his will, and obey Jesus. See, Paul lost close to half his life, maybe more than half of his life, in walking in the wrong direction. And you guys know, I've mentioned this many times, I'm bad at directions. It's very frustrating when you go the wrong way. It's very frustrating, very, very frustrating when you go the wrong way for a long time. Paul spent half of his life going the wrong way. And that that could have left Paul in despair once he realized that. It could have made him an insecure Christian. Who accomplished very little for Christ but it did the very opposite for Paul it made Paul zealous it made him hungry to do God's will even beyond his peers because he had to double time it in order to make up for the time that he lost and this strategy that Paul used was not to earn salvation it was not to earn God's favor he already had that fully in Jesus this strategy I believe Paul used this double time strategy was a genuine and pure offering to the Lord To give the Lord as much as Paul could possibly give Jesus while he still had time to do so. Again, we only have one life to live, don't we? And every moment of this life should be given to the one who is deserving of our service, Jesus. And this strategy that we're talking about tonight is also a brilliant strategy toward conquering evil. Because Paul, the Apostle Paul, was running so fast, so hard towards righteousness and love, that he was never idle. Paul was never idle. He was always sprinting forward. Even when he's in a dungeon, what's he doing? He's writing the Bible. He's writing letters to the churches, isn't he? While in the dungeon. And he was always sprinting forward. And this made Paul tough to catch. This made Paul tough to stop. Now, who watches football on a regular basis? Let's see some hands. Football. Wow, there's not many of us. Four of us. Really? Only four football fans? Well, you'll still at least understand the analogy, okay? Do you know how hard it is, and maybe you don't, but imagine how hard it is to tackle somebody who's running full steam ahead. Even seasoned NFL defenders find it very difficult to wrap up and stop a player who's barely down at them at 20 miles an hour. The best they can try to do is slow them down because the player is so determined to score. So determined to get into the end zone and score a touchdown. I'm going to share a story with you before we close tonight from the Old Testament. And it's one of my favorite stories in the entire Bible. If you guys know King David, um, had a, there's a, tons of amazing stories about King David. This is one of them. But it's not really about King David. It's about these men that he had called the mighty men. Have you guys heard of these guys? In 2 Samuel chapter 23, David had these 30 mighty men. And it's going to tell a story about three of them. Three of his mighty men, okay? These are basically David's servants. You know, David's best warriors. And David's right-hand men. In 2 Samuel 23, it says this, And three of the chief, three of the thirty chief men went down and came about to harvest time to David at the cave of Adullam, when a band of Philistines was, encamp- was encamped in the valley of Rephaim. David was then in the stronghold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then at Bethlehem. Bethlehem. And David said longingly, Oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem that is by the gate. David just says this out loud. Okay? Boy, I'm thirsty. Boy, I would love a drink from the well that is near Bethlehem. And he says that out loud. And he's got these three mighty men who heard that. Okay? So it says in verse 16, Then the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and carried it and brought it to David. Now imagine this scene, okay? They broke into a Philistine camp by Bethlehem. And just to get water. Can you imagine what happens when three Israelite warriors bust through a Philistine camp where they shouldn't be uh, just to, to get water? And I can imagine, it doesn't exactly tell us, but I can imagine these guys coming back all bloodied and bruised and sweaty, and they're like, David, here, King David, here's your water. Here's your water, King David. <laughs> Enjoy that water, King. And what a great offering that must have been for King David. What a, what a cool example of what a true servant looks like. But David's response is quite interesting, and maybe even a little odd. It says in verse 16, but he would not drink of it. He poured it out unto the Lord. David takes the water and dumps it out. Now, you might think that's a bizarre thing to do after someone almost kills themselves, getting you a glass of water that you said out loud that you wanted. But David wasn't saying it to them. He was just saying it out loud. They heard it. They got in the water, and David takes the water, and he pours it out, and he says this. Far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of the men who went at the risk of their lives? Therefore he would not drink it. These th- these things the three mighty men did. I've always wondered at that story going, why did David just drink it? You know? I mean, it was kind of offensive to these three guys who risked their lives to get him water. But you know why he didn't drink it? He didn't ask for the water. He didn't command them to get the water. And number 2, he didn't consider himself worthy of that sacrifice. So he dumped it out and he dumped it out as an offering to the Lord. But you know what's interesting about it, even though King David didn't ask for the water, even though King David wasn't worthy of that sacrifice? Do you know who did ask us or command us to follow him? Come on up, Finn. <laughs> Kid is amazing. Strong. Strong boy. Who commanded us to follow him? Or let's ask it this way: Who is worthy of such a sacrifice? Does another king come to mind? King Jesus. Here's our main point tonight. If we're in Jesus, then we're free people. Yep, just like Finn. (laughs) The devil wants to keep us down. He wants to keep us locked in our cages by telling us that he still owns us. He wants us to sit on the sidelines for the Lord, just like Pastor Todd did for a long period of his life. And he wants us to do minimal for Jesus. And he tells us we're too old. It's too late. We're too insignificant, we're too weak, we're too insecure. And you know what he's doing? What is the devil best at? Does anyone know what's the devil best at? Lying. Calls him the father of lies. If we use the double time strategy, if we rely upon God's grace, we can overcome the devil. That's a, that's a promise from scripture. See, the devil did his best trying to tackle the apostle Paul. But Paul was running too fast, too hard towards righteousness and love. In order to make up for lost time and the enemy the devil got steamrolled by paul if you read paul's life he was shipwrecked dragged through the streets thrown into dungeon flogged whipped and paul never gave up did he he just kept going forward paul ended up making up all the time he lost and maybe even more and the enemy had no chance to trip up paul i'll be honest with you i'm tired of seeing christians beaten down with lies I'm tired of seeing my brothers and sisters beaten down with insecurities because we're free. We're free people and our freedom is from Jesus and our freedom has been given us to accomplish the will of God. And I believe if we really believed how powerful the grace of God was, and if we really believed we were free people, and if we really believed that Jesus was worthy of the sacrifice that we could give him, I believe we would double time it to give him the amount of service that he deserves. The devil wants us to keep us locked in cages of insecurity and fear. And I think it's time we kick that door door open for good. I think it's time we steam ahead with all the energy and effort that we can combine as a church body and let him know that from now on, we're following Jesus no matter what. We're going to double time our efforts by God's grace. And we're going to let him try to tackle someone a lot easier than us. And I'll say this as we close as sort of a prayer. Lord Jesus, you're worthy of our lives. You're worthy of our effort to obey your will. And I'm going to ask you to cover Crossroads Church with your grace to help us steam forward to do your will and love and righteousness. Remember the song, all to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. I think that's a good reminder as we close tonight. Now, Finn, you can have the floor because he's been... He's been pining for it the whole time, and I officially hand the floor over to Finn. God bless you guys. Thanks for listening to the Devotional podcast. Join us for worship Sunday mornings beginning at 1030. Learn more about us at CrossroadsOfLittleton.com. Crossroads Church, seeking to shine the light and love of Jesus in the heart of New England.